welcome everyone to season two, episode seven of the Big at the Back podcast. Clearly, Matt and I are really not synced up as of yet because I just temporarily forgot how to start a podcast. There is a reason for that, folks. Pop Idol legend Darius has sadly passed away in the last few hours, and I'm tremendously upset. Colorblind was one of the best songs of the decade, and I'll be honest, it's just completely thrown me. Um, I mean, was first of all, are you sure it's episode seven? We'll just clear that one up. Um, Maybe I, I don't know anymore. Like I, I miss Darius. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, I just don't know. Uh, but yes, absolutely tragic news. Obviously, um, to lose such uh, a musical legend. Um, actually, he was. You say he died a few hours ago. He died like last week. Um, we found out a few hours ago, so that's what it We found out a few hours ago, yeah. So, uh, yeah, very sad, but obviously we will soldier on because that's what we do. We're professionals. Without the one-hit wonder of, well, the greatest one-hit wonder of all time, Darius, uh, we, we will struggle on through the podcast recording. Um, Matt, tragic news aside, how are you? I'm not too bad. It was a fairly decent weekend, uh, despite the fact that I have joined the the 30s club. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm just disappointed I didn't die at 27 because I was obviously such a, a legend. I wanted to join the 27 club, like Amy Winehouse, Kurt Cobain, you know, all the best people die at 27. But hey, here we are. I'm still alive. I drank quite a lot over the weekend, all in all. So I can't complain, um, and we've had some rain finally today and yesterday, a little bit of rain, so things are looking up. How are you? I mean, things were looking up until Darius, and after that, I'm just, I'm feeling blue when I'm trying. How would you know? I thought you were colourblind. <laughs> well, I was about to start his song. I was just getting there. God damn it. Ruin everything. Right. We're gonna, I'm just going to start a little tally of how many times you mentioned Darius throughout this podcast. <laughs> This is now a Darius tribute podcast, not fantasy football. Um, I guess we should talk football or no. As a Liverpool fan, I really still don't want to. But genuinely, a drama-filled, cracking weekend of football. It had absolutely everything. Um, we were talking before the podcast, sod the usual running order. We're just going to run through the games we care about and the games that were fun. So, actually, let's start. This is an FPL podcast. So we should really structure it around FPL. Matt, how are you doing? How was your week this week on fantasy football? Overall, not too bad, all things considering. Uh, finished on 65 points for the week. Bearing in mind, obviously, still going with no Salah. So watching the Liverpool-Palace game last night and just basically watching any Liverpool game at the moment is a real stressful experience just... Because, you know, even, I mean, we'll talk about the game a bit more in detail. Even though he wasn't particularly involved in the game a lot for long stretches, you know he's capable of just going off at any minute. So it's it's really worrying. But, yeah, overall, not too bad. Uh, obviously, a little bit above the average. Nick Pope in goal with a very good 10-point return. The big at the back method, not so much paying off this week with Chilwell not getting a game. Walker was the only one of my defenders to to get any points. Uh, Trent and Robertson and Zinchenko being the other three in the back four. Luis Diaz, uh, I picked the right Liverpool midfielder this week. So that's good news. Better than Salah. And then Erdegaard and Grealish, my other two midfielders, nothing there. Wilson up top. Haaland, my captain, with 10. Uh, obviously, the, the, just the one assist. And we'll talk a bit about his performance as well. And the main man this week, Gabriel Jesus, who absolutely ripped Leicester to shreds. So... All in all, not too bad. Didn't really leave any points on the bench either. Uh, above average, green arrows. So I can't complain too much. Um, how are you looking this week? Yeah, I mean, that's not bad considering your mid... I don't think there is a single one of your midfielders I would be considering an FPL. I'm being brutally honest. So that's not too bad at all. I'm on a bit better. So I'm on 74 points uh, for the week. 147 Overall, I'm actually breaking the top 500k for overall rank, but who cares about overall rank? It's two game weeks in. So, doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, exactly. It's completely pointless. So, like you, I've got Nick Pope uh, coming in with 10 points. Cancelo, the biggest hitter at the back, with 11. 
Um, Walker getting six was good. Uh, midfield, the only real performer was Martinelli with eight points. And then uh, Gabriel Jesus and Haaland, who was captained up front for me. Uh, Jesus with 19 points. And we'll talk a bit about his performance as well as Haaland's a little bit later on. The one theme I took from this game is, or this week, sorry, players who were home in general performed far, far better than players who were away. And I think that was really the case maybe three seasons ago pre-COVID. But I think we're starting to slowly see a return to that. There are notable exceptions, of course, but I think we are slowly getting back to that. Um, How do you feel with your squad at the moment? I think overall I'm not too sad about it. There's there's a couple of things I do want to change. Jadon Sancho's got to go. I think if any if this weekend has proven anything, it's that Man United assets have to go. There was a lot of, I don't know, a lot. Of, there was quite a bit of optimism pre-season about United coming in with a new manager and a decent pre- looking pre-season, but obviously that hasn't lasted very long. So he's got to go, and it looks like Ben Chilwell's got to go for me as well with the intro of Cucurella into that starting eleven this weekend. I mean, there is potential that they do get rotated a little bit, but obviously, spending in that chill bracket, like that sort of prize money, that sort of uh, price, you've got to be looking for someone that's starting week in, week out. So he's got to go. So they're looking at my two transfers. I could even potentially take a hit this week as well, uh, because I'm not sure. I'm, I think I need to get rid of Greenish. So, but other than that, I like it. I like the balance. Pope's doing pretty well so far. Uh, I think Walker's. A, like my defence, I feel like it's got to come good at some point with Trent and Robertson. I think Zinchenko's a good shout as well, still creatively going forward, if not so much defensively. But And then the front three of Wilson, his fixtures coming up are a little bit more difficult, but then Haaland and Jesus pick themselves at the moment. So overall, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. Um, are you looking at wholesale changes or are you pretty happy? I mean, there's some people even talking about wildcarding already and some people have. I mean, wild carding in game week two is, frankly, I mean, if you intend on actually playing the game properly and seriously, then it's an absolutely ridiculous move. Um, you pick these players for a reason, at least back them for four or five weeks. But I'm not looking at wholesale changes. I've I've already made my two transfers for this week, um, both on the back of price rises that were going to hit, and it would have priced me out of them. So I've gone Bailey uh, to De Silva. Bailey, I gave him two weeks. He didn't perform. I'm getting rid of him. That's it. He's out. He got two weeks, and then that was it. Absolutely no. And Walker, even though he was getting a price rise to 5.1, Cucurella looks like he'll get one as well. And if both of them get a price rise to 5.1, then because of the way FPL works, I wouldn't be able to transfer out Walker for Cucurella. I'd be 0.1 short because of the way price rises work when you sell players. So I've gone Walker to Cucurella on the basis that I like Chelsea's fixtures a lot more than I do City's fixtures at the moment. So I really wanted to be in on Chelsea, aside from Mason Mount. And Mount, if I've kept him versus Tottenham, then I'm keeping him for the next two. Even though I don't really want to keep him, I'm not sure there's anyone better, apart from Diaz, who we'll speak about in a moment, in that price bracket. So... Unless there's tragic injury news, the next week I'm looking to line up as the back five. So Robertson, Cancelo, Trent, Cucurella and Nico Williams. Then a midfield three of Martinelli, Mount and Salah and two up top with Jesus and Haaland with the armbands currently on Mo Salah. Not locked in though. I think there are cases for other players. Um it's, I'm thinking about Andreas coming in, particularly as he's got the home game over Nico Williams, but that's TBC. Uh, I'm not certain on that yet. Anything wholesale you're looking at changing? Um, Jalen Sancho and Ben Chilwell are surely both out for you. Yeah, I think they've both got to go now, and it just depends who I bring in. Do I go Chilwell to James, or do I look that's to go somewhere else? If there was one player I wish I could have right now, it's Rich James. I... Just don't really want to burn a minus four and lose Robertson for him. Or I could even burn eight and lose Mounds and Williams for James plus another six million midfielder, but that's not something I want to do. But if I could get him, Reese James is the one to go for. I'd love to have Reese James in my spot at the moment. Yeah, I think he I think that's the way I'm looking for that one. Then Sancho will become 
probably a cheaper midfielder. Uh, you brought in De Silva. I was looking at him and also Jensen from Brentford. Their fixtures just look very good at the moment. And obviously on the back of that result, they're going to have so much confidence and they're playing some really good football at the weekend. So I think that it's going to be one of them two. And then I am potentially looking at a minus four to take Grealish out as well. Who that will become, I really don't know. But I'll have a bit of money in the bank as well from downgrading Sancho. So that's going to be uh, one to watch out for. Currently looking at my starting lineup as Pope in goal, but that may well become Ward, dependent mm. on how I feel as the week goes on. Uh, obviously, because Newcastle play City, but you can always rely on Pope for some save points, I feel. So I feel like I could stick with him anyway. Uh, a back five of Trent, Robertson, Zinchenko, Walker, and Chilwell, which will become James. A midfield three of Erdegaard, Diaz, and Grealish as it stands. And then Haaland and Jesus up top. And the good thing about my team is all 10 of my outfield players currently on there are playing away from home, which uh, feeds back nicely into what you said uh, at the start of the pod about away players not doing as well. So, And then all my four subs are playing at home. So we'll see how this goes. Um, but I, I don't know. I feel like the fixtures are right. Um, and the captaincy is a tough one this week. I'm very much considering um, Gabriel Jesus after his returns at the weekend. Obviously, he's found form at just the right time. And also, Luis Diaz as well is another shout for me as well because Manchester United just look that bad. I mean, they do, but Liverpool aren't exactly pulling up trees. So, we'll get to them in a minute. Uh, when it comes to the fixtures, let's start with the, the best one. Tottenham-Chelsea. Oh, my goodness, what a game. Now, I'll start by saying... Tottenham never get referee decisions against them. Never. Now, I can't think of a single 50-50 decision in the past year and a half that's gone against them. It's ridiculous. Chelsea were completely robbed in this game. And I enjoyed every second of it. Because as far as I'm concerned, there is no worse club in England than Chelsea. Globally, there's Barcelona, sure. But in, in English football, Chelsea are the worst. So it's really, really enjoyable watching the tides turn on them and watching them get spurs out of a game. What did you make of it, the chaos? It was just fantastic, wasn't it? And the bust-ups on the touchline at the end. It was just... And you love it when like commentators say, oh, we don't like to see this in football. We do. We absolutely love to see it. It's the best thing about football. And they're not going to like go around the bike shed and have a fight, are they? Or maybe they are. Who knows? Um, but... But like, it's, it doesn't mean anything. So let's just enjoy it for what it is, which is a bit of petty drama. That's what we're here for. Yeah, it was. I loved it. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, but yeah, overall, the game itself, I mean, VAR obviously was the talking point for quite a lot this weekend, actually, across several games, but mainly in this one. And the one I just cannot understand is the Cucurella hair pull. How on earth can a VAR official look at that and not, send the referee to go and look at the monitor. I just do not get it at all. That is violent conduct. That is a red card, pure and simple. Absolutely obscene, wasn't it? And I think even the first goal for Spurs shouldn't have counted as well. So at yeah. the end of the day, it happens. Chelsea were much, much better. I thought Kudabai looked great as well. He looked a bit shaky in the first game, but I thought he looked really good. Huh? Reese James, what a player. I've... He was the star of the show for me. He was playing at right centre-back. He was man-marking Son out of the game. He was also their foremost attacker. He was the furthest man forward, the last man back, marked out the informed player from the last year in human Son. The guy was an absolute monster, and he was fantastic for the entire game. I thought it was the best I've ever seen him play, because normally he can, he can be a bit wayward and a bit shaky sometimes, Rhys Jones, but I thought he was wonderful versus Spurs. That's why from an FPL standpoint, I'm, I've am i brought Cucurella in because I think he's going to be starting at least the next three or four games until the Champions League. And if I could, I'd bring Reese James in in a heartbeat. Yeah, I think, like I say, he's going to be the one I'm going to. He, he was brilliant in this game. He was everywhere, like you say. Kudabali as well, obviously getting in on the act with a goal. Um, Spurs have conceded six goals in the Premier League against Chelsea since in their last three games since the start of last season. And four of those goals have been scored by central defenders. So obviously struggling to deal with Chelsea's uh, aerial prowess at set pieces. 
But yeah, yeah I think overall, um, like you say, they, they were the two standouts. Cucurella looked pretty good on his home debut as well. Sterling getting his first return of the season with an assist, um, which uh, obviously you love to see. I'm just not excited about any of the Chelsea forward assets. And I've got Mount, but that's purely on the basis that uh, I've got Mounds and I'm not going to drop him for the next two, regardless of how well he plays, to be honest, because the fixtures are too good. But going forward, I think Havertz was terrible. I think Sterling obviously makes that attack better, but it's Raheem Sterling, he's always been this way. He's never going to change. He'll do 98% of the job of a forward brilliantly. He'll lose the man, he'll beat the man, he'll get in a position, he'll make the killer pass. Then when it comes to slossing it away, he will either hit it straight into traffic, so straight into three players bunched up, or he'll go straight to Rosette. He cannot finish to save his life. And frankly, he's always going to be that way. So I think Chelsea attacking assets, I'm really uninspired. Uh, but for their upcoming fixtures, and they've got really nice fixtures coming up, I think defensively, you need to be on at least one Chelsea defender that's starting. Reese James is the obvious one. I think Cucurella and Kudabali are both great shouts as well. Yep, I think it's potential. There is potential to double up there. I still don't think I'm that confident in them to double up just because they yeah. they are susceptible to conceding at the moment and you're not always going to get bailed out by attacking returns. Agreed. Um, but I, I don't know. I think lots of people are going to have single Chelsea defenders, in particular Reese James after that weekend. I can see a lot of people actually moving Robertson to Reese James. Whether that, I feel like that's probably too early, but we'll get to Liverpool in a minute. But Chelsea's upcoming games are Leeds away, Leicester at home, Southampton away, West Ham at home, Fulham away, and then they've got Liverpool in game week eight. But that's probably when you're going to be looking to wild cards anyway. So I wouldn't hate the double up if you were looking at it. Yeah, true. The fixtures are the fixtures are there, so if it's going to come, it's going to come uh, pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, next game to speak about then, and we might as well get it over with. Liverpool won, Crystal Palace won. Um, I actually didn't think Crystal Palace played well for the first half. I think their goal came from a break. Quite frankly, they exploited the fact that Nat Phillips was there because we had no fit central defenders. So. Zaha took his goal well. After that, Liverpool just very uncharacteristically got flustered, started losing their heads. Darwin Nunez, I don't know what, what he'd eaten for breakfast, but what the hell was he thinking? I know what he had for breakfast. Cocaine. He might have done. <laughs> I think if you watch the highlights of Nunez versus Anderson, Anderson was barely touching him. It wasn't like he was hustling him and being a dick throughout the game to cause that reaction. He was barely doing anything. Nunez was just getting angry over nothing. Um, so, absolutely ridiculous. He, it was very Luis Suarez of him. Yeah, it very much was. And Anderson just played him like a fiddle, didn't he? He knew exactly what he was doing. Just a little dig here and there. But nothing, like I say, nothing really over the top or really aggressive. And he just bit and bit, and then obviously right under the referee's nose as well. Massive reaction with a headbutt, and he's he's probably cost his team two points there because I still feel like with 11 men on the pitch, you, you come back to win that game. I think, like you say, Zaha took his goal very nicely. Um, Well-timed pass and run, and he, he slotted it home very nicely. Did you know that since Jurgen Klopp was appointed manager at Liverpool, no Premier League team has got more points at Anfield than Crystal Palace? Did not know that. That's a... They have got seven points, which is the same amount as Chelsea. And then you've got Man United have got six. And on five are Man City and Burnley. 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 <laughs> <laughs> a big bogey team for us. I actually thought Crystal Palace was one of the teams we fairly consistently beat, but evidently not, apparently. Um, I, oh, didn't they beat? No, that was Aston Villa that beat us about 7-2 or something a few years ago. Um, and that was at Villa Park. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, regardless, if you brought Darwin in this week, I don't think it was a terrible call. But also, you probably took Gabriel Jesus out to do it. So it kind of was a terrible call. I think, yeah, it was on paper... 
there was sound logic behind it. He looked good yeah. in his debut when he came on. So, and he linked up pretty well with Salah. It just, it's one of those, isn't it? If you look like a, an idiot afterwards, but if he'd have scored a hat trick, you'd have looked like a genius. And that's, that's the, the beauty of FPL at times. You, you get those 50 50 calls and they can go terribly wrong, but they can go brilliantly well. So, mm. it just fell on that side of the coin on this occasion. And then, you add on to that, obviously, no clean sheets of both, of, well, all of the Liverpool defensive assets, but obviously the two main ones that everyone talks about. Trent and Robertson lose their clean sheets. And Salah blanks, which obviously the world and his dog have got Salah in their team, apart from me. So I was buzzing. Yeah, Salah's blank was weird. He, ne- I think you sent me a stat. He has never returned in game week two. He has he has returned. He's never scored. Ah, uh, never scored. He always absolutely hits it out of the park game week one, but game week two he never seems to continue that. So and he's got a good record against Palace as well. So it's like, which one will it be? Because I think he scored seven goals and got four assists in his last eight games against them or something, which is ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at Liverpool fixtures though, they've got Manu away, which we'll come to United next because I think there's something worth talking about there. Bournemouth at home. And we'll, again, we'll speak about them in a minute for the next two. Then we've got Newcastle, Everton, Wolves. So not a bad run of fixtures until they have Chelsea in game week eight. So with your Liverpool assets, any thoughts on moving any of them on? No, not at the moment because I've got far more important and bigger fish to fry in my squad at the moment. Trent and Robertson are sat there, obviously, they're there just as much as they're for their potential attacking returns as they are the defensive, but nothing from either of them so far this season, really. And when you've got that much money invested in a single defence, if they don't start keeping some clean sheets soon, it's you're getting to the stage of, right, do I move one on? But at the same time, obviously, like you said, Matip didn't play, so Nat Phillips came in. If Matip is there alongside Van Dijk, it's probably a much different story. So hopefully, from an FPL perspective, He'll be back into that side fairly soon. Yeah, Canate as well. I mean, we're missing two excellent centre-backs there. Joe Gomez not fully fit. If he'd have been fully fit, he'd have started. That's a very different game if he does. So I just think it, Palace caught us on our day, to on the day to catch us, really. Um, but we'll see if Liverpool's injury crisis can be resolved. I mean, it's 2022. How we haven't got a new central midfielder, it, it's... Unbelievable. Yes, we spent money on Darwin Nunez, but we've also made money from player sales. So our net spend, once again, is about 10 million. I'm sorry, the club makes far more than that. The owners are taking money out of the club and not putting anything in. And it's unbelievably frustrating seeing City go and strengthen year on year on year. Chelsea go and strengthen year on year on year. And Liverpool just don't do that. Um, Let's be honest, we've really overachieved in the past three or four years with Jürgen Klopp when you look at the squad we've got and the money he's spent. But realistically, we're not spending enough to keep up. I don't think we come close to the title this year, unfortunately. Yes. Um, even after just two games, it already feels like a long way back, doesn't it? Because mm. like, if you're playing catch-up with City, who tend to start slower, then they get better as the year goes on. And we'll talk about this over and over again. The World Cup does throw a spanner in the works. That is going to be a big thing. But you you don't want to be getting too far behind too early because it will be a lot of ground to make up. It'll be like a couple of years ago when it was, what was it last year that they almost threw away the big lead? It was last year, wasn't it? Liverpool 14 points behind and came within a whisker. Um, Worth noting the World Cup as well, Salah and Haaland both rested for a month. So they'll be training with Pep and Klopp essentially for that whole month ready for the Premier League start again. So after that, you want to be getting those two players in and captaining, well, either one of them for the first few games. Maybe that's when I'll finally get Salah in this year. I mean, it wouldn't be a bad shout. That's if he earns my, to earns my trust to get in after he's blanked for the next 12 game weeks in a row. I mean, maybe, to be fair. <laughs> uh, let's talk about... I almost don't want to talk about it because... Brentford 4-0 against Man U. Okay, it was hilarious. Let's be honest, it was hilarious. I do, I, I am starting to feel like the joke's not funny anymore for Man U. It's just sad. But then I remember the, it's Man U. Therefore, it can't not be funny. 
there's nothing. Let's not bash on Manu. We've done it enough times. Everyone knows our opinion. Let's talk about how bad Rashford and Sancho were. Let's. <laughs> um, yeah, I think they were an absolute disaster. Maguire. How often have we spoken about Maguire? He should not be going to the World Cup with England. He's dreadful, dreadful, dreadful defender. Um, David De Gea, awful as well. Just, yeah. Let, let's be positive about how amazing Brentford are. Yeah, they they did exactly what they needed to do in this game. They pressed Manu high up the pitch. They forced them into mistakes and they capitalised on them. They targeted Martinez uh, at centre-half because... And everyone said it. He's five for eight. It's a big physical league, and he's struggling to settle in. So you get someone like Ivan Tony, pump balls up to him, let him bully him, and it worked over and over again. It's funny. I was um, actually playing cricket while this match was on, and we were playing somewhere like in East London, and there were football matches going on in the day nearby, and they all went back into the clubhouse afterwards, and obviously had the football one in there. And we were out in the field and we heard a big cheer go up for a goal going in. We're like, oh, in East London, that could be a Man U goal. We don't really know what's going on. And we went and got drinks and uh, we were told it was 1-0 to Brentford. And then about 10 minutes later, we heard another cheer go up. That's 2-0. We finished the game, got back into the changing room. We're getting ready, getting changed to shower. Then someone got a notification, 3-0. Then two minutes later, we're in the showers. It's 4-0. And you're like, what is going on here? It's an absolute shambles. But yeah, I mean, Brentford, credit to them, played them off the park. De Gea, yeah, was awful. I think um, the the silver goal had an XG of 0.02. (laughs) I mean, it was dreadful. But defensively, Manchester United were absolutely all over the shop. And we said it about the Brighton 4-0 last year as well. Um, Brighton... All credit to them. And even this year, actually, in the previous game, all credit to Brighton, all credit to Brentford. But you don't... All you need to do to beat Manchester United is be, be playing well. Like, play ta- organised good football and you will beat Manchester United. Brentford were on them and all over them and that defence just didn't know how to handle it. I think Ivan Tony came out after the game and said, we knew they wouldn't be confident, so we wanted to get in their face and take advantage of that. And that's exactly what they did. Manchester United just feel vulnerable right now. Um, Liverpool not in great form, so I'm kind of apprehensive about a bounce back next Monday when we watch it. But I really think that it's what it wasn't so much of a Brentford masterclass, even though they were brilliant. It was more a capitulation from United. Yeah, they obviously completely fell apart, and it's funny. Like I'm looking at Brentford assets, like we've said. Um, whether it's to Silva or Jensen, who absolutely cleaned up with a goal assist and three bonus points. And their fixtures look really good. Like, and they've scored six goals in two games. But how much of that is poor opposition? A Man United side that were very bad and a Leicester side that are in a lot of turmoil at the moment. And how much of that is them really going to be able to carry on into the next few weeks? Um, don't get me wrong. It, it, it's a no-brainer to get one of them in, though. So I'm going to have to. Yeah, and I think you've got to the silver there. What's he at? Four point six million at the moment for a midfield yeah. starting and playing well. Two goals into, I mean, even though there were two lucky goals, I do think just go, just go for it. You haven't got much to lose, and those midfield slots aren't exactly valuable at the moment. Um, but let's move on because let me just throw a stat at you before you oh, move on. Go on. Manu have lost by four goals in three of their last eight Premier League games. And they lost by four or more goals in three of 810 games that Sir Alex Ferguson managed. So They've also lost the last seven away games in a row in the Premier League, which I think is a record for them as well. Yeah, I believe so. Um, Well, it's got to be, hasn't it? Because there's no way that anyone else will be, that they've ever gone that long without an away point. Um, And they're bottom of the league, obviously, which... Is pretty funny. Uh, first time since the start of the Premier League in August '92 when they lost their first couple of games that they've been bottom of the Premier League. That is incredible. Um, let's move on. And I went through the pain of talking about Liverpool 
why don't we talk about Nottingham Forest beating West Ham 1-0. Jay Ling's a successful return. Or, I mean, not a return because he was at home. But Jay Ling's defeating West Ham. How are you feeling? I have no idea how he got this assist. It was um, <laughs> one of those ones that I'm... Yeah, I'm not too convinced about that one. He had a really badly scuffed shot um, that bounced back off of, I think it was Ben Johnson, who was in front of the goal. And then it hit Awaniwi and went in. Uh, Awaniwi, who I did have in one of my drafts earlier in the season, um, but obviously he's long gone. And it was just one of those days for us. It just felt like we could have played for at least another 20 minutes and not bagged a goal at all. We hit the woodwork twice. Um, Dean Henderson made a really good save. And then Rice missed a penalty as well, which Henderson saved. We lack a penalty taker in our squad at the moment, unless Lanzini's on the pitch, which he isn't always, um, especially now that Mark Noble's gone because he was always a penalty taker. And if he wasn't there, it was Lanzini. So we the the encouraging thing is we created lots of chances in this game. Our XG was about 2.7. So... It was just the finishing of them. They had, we had a shot cleared off the line as well. Uh, goal disallowed, which I don't know. I'm, I'm not convinced on. I, as far as I'm concerned, it's two players running into each other off the ball. It's an accidental collision. But mm. we can talk about that till the cows come home. Yeah. We just need to turn it around from a West Ham perspective. Uh, we've got a Europa Conference League playoff round on Thursday night against a Danish side that finished seventh in the league last season. So it's very vitally important that we we turn it around there because we have uh, another tough test on Sunday with Brighton, who we never beat. And yeah. then um, we've got a couple of signings look like we've got coming in as well. Uh, uh, Tilo Keller from uh, PSG, a centre-half, who looks like he's coming in because we're lacking a centre-half at the moment. Uh, and it's obviously getting towards the end of the transfer window because the classic Dimitri Payet return story <laughs> has surfaced again. It's not going to happen, people. It's never going to happen. He's 35. Yeah, no. I, I feel like that time has come and gone. The Paillet days are over. Um, maybe maybe just bring him in for penalties and nothing else. <laughs> well, Declan Rice stepping up for that penalty. It's like I've never seen anyone look so uncomfortable taking a penalty. It was absolutely ridiculous. It's like he chose that moment to remember he was English. Yeah, he's missed, he's missed two of the three penalties he's taken for West Ham. Um, we, when we've got players like Ben Rama, who was having a really good game, Jared Bowen, Mikel if you're an attacking player of any sort in mm. across that sort of front line, you should be backing yourself to score a penalty 99 times out of 100. Uh, you shouldn't be on your central midfielder unless they are like, obviously... United of Gerard and Lampard and people like that that just took penalties for fun uh, and scored them for fun. But yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll rant over. <laughs> Let's move on. Well, I also think from a Forest perspective, Danny Stryker looked really, really good. And actually Nico Williams looked brilliant as well. Um, I'm thinking when they're away from home, they probably won't be quite as good. But when they're at home, I can see myself starting Nico Williams in quite a few matches because I think he looks very, very, very good when he got the chance to play. Um, saying that, their next home game is against Tottenham. Then they go away to Man City. Then it's Bournemouth at home. So, And then they got Fulham at home a few games later. So there's a few game weeks I can see myself starting Nico Williams moving forward. You're not getting Lingard in then? No, no. I mean, as a six million option, perhaps later in the season, but he's got a lot to prove, I think. Um, next game to talk about then, and let's pick another fun one. Uh, actually, let's talk about Man City Bournemouth because Haaland's only picking up the assist, the KDB show. I think Haaland's performance, it wasn't convincing, but also if his teammates have been more aware, he would have got two goals. So I'm not worried about owning Haaland at all after this. I think I'm more than happy to own him for the next few games. I don't see myself swapping to Kane anytime soon. Yeah, I, I'm still happy with having him in the team at the moment. Yeah, same here. Uh, I think, like you say, there was just one chance early on. Foden could have squared it to him uh, and he would have had a tap in for an open goal, but he took the yeah. shot and missed it, uh, what was saved. I think Haaland had something like eight touches of the ball in this game. Uh, mm. one assist out of those eight touches, so that's not a bad return. 
it just seemed a little bit strange. Yeah, it wasn't going through him as much as it was against West Ham in game week one. But like we've said, with these attacking and creative players in and around him, he's going to get loads of chances and he will make the most of them. He looks fit. He looks hungry. And this was just one of those games where, because they've got so much talent, they are likely to spread it around a little bit at times. But at the end of the day, he's their main man. He's their, their number nine. So he's the one that's going to be getting on a lot of these chances throughout the season. Yeah. And I almost think Bournemouth didn't come with the intention of winning that game. That From minute one, they knew it was damage limitation and they knew they weren't, they knew full well they weren't going to keep City out. They literally shut up shop and didn't even try to play for a draw. They just tried to keep City down to as few chances as possible, knowing they would score some. Um, whether Bournemouth want to play like that away versus all the big teams remains to be seen. It could mean that when they play Liverpool, when they play Chelsea, when they play Tottenham, we could be looking at the midfielders having a very good day against Bournemouth, if not the strikers. Perhaps one to keep an eye on there. Um, City's next game is Newcastle, but it's Man City. They're good against everyone. Uh, a game I'm quite interested in chatting about, though. And it's not the most exciting one remaining, but I want to chat about Leeds 2 all with Southampton. And the reason I want to chat about it is because Rodrigo got another two goals. So that's three and two for him. The problem is, I'm just thinking of Rodrigo last season. He had the chance to nail his place, to replace Bamford when he's out. And he just didn't convince. So I I, I don't know what it is. I've got a block against bringing Rodrigo in. What about you? What are your thoughts on it? I'm not considering him this week because they... Go. They have Chelsea at home this week, so I think it's a miss there. But after that, they've got a run of fairly decent-looking fixtures, and I think he's almost stepping into that Rafinha role, isn't he? And with him going, he's got the chance to step up and be a bit more of a main man. Like you say, he had that chance with Bamford missing, but he was playing through the centre a little bit more, which isn't necessarily his strong suit. So now he's filling in that Rafinha role wide right. He can cut inside and make things happen a little bit more. Uh, the big question from here is, I think Bamford came off injured again um, in this game. I think he only lasted about half an hour. So is that going to affect them as well going forward? See how they get on this weekend against Chelsea. But yeah, definitely one to keep an eye on, Rodrigo. Yeah. Um, Wolves, Fulham, nil-nil. I mean, we can say board draw, and it was just a bit of a snooze fest. Mitrovic missing a penalty, so all those that took... Gabriel Jesus out for him. Well done. Um, well, again, one of those things that happened. But let's talk more then about the more exciting game, which was an awesome game of football. Arsenal beating Leicester 4-2, because this was the Gabriel Jesus show. Um, you weren't able to watch this, were you? You were at cricket. Yeah, I only caught the highlights of this one. But uh, the results were being fed out to me on the pitch. And yeah, Jesus, two goals, two assists, uh, a big haul for him and... Mm proving uh, his worth to his owners, which are about 70-odd percent of fantasy Premier League managers. Yeah, I think in the top 10K, the top two transfers out this week were Gabriel Jesus to Mitrovic and Gabriel Jesus to Darwin Nunez. And that was they were the two biggest transfers out within the top 10K. So I think they've all got some egg on their face now. Uh, honestly, Jesus was immense. His first goal was absolutely sublime. He put some more on the plates. One thing to say, though, is Saka, for all of the hype around him pre-season, we did try and warn you on this podcast, he was essentially non-existent in this game. He, I think he created one chance, which was more or less a half chance. I think Xhaka was a better FPL option like based on this game alone than Saka was. Saka's playing a lot more in that defensive role, covering Ben White, because the way Arsenal are playing, they're playing four across the back, but Zinchenko on the left is pushing forward. What that's doing is bringing Ben White at right back more central. What that means is Saka is having to drop slightly to cover the defensive aspects of that right-hand side which means that on the left-hand side, Arsenal were overloading with Zinchenko, with Martinelli, Jesus is coming out there, and then they've got their other midfielders, uh, Party and Xhaka, covering. 
But on the right-hand side, they're playing a lot more defensively. So I think if you've got Saka, drop him for Martinelli immediately. If you have both, then, you know, find another person to drop Saka for because he isn't a good asset right now. And that may change, but for the moment, I wouldn't go near him. I absolutely cannot wait wait for the Saka hat-trick this weekend. I've already transferred my heart up for him. So, <laughs> <laughs> What did you think from the highlights, though, watching this game? It was like Jesus, the first goal, like you said, was sublime. The second goal was nicely taken. Uh, it was put on a plate for him by Jamie Vardy with a near-post flick on. Uh, the sort of flick on he would dream of if it was down the other end. Mm. But yeah, your your analysis is completely right about the Saka situation on that right hand side. I do feel as though there is there is still potential for him to come good. They have still got some good fixtures coming up. Um, Bournemouth, Fulham, and Villa are their next three. So if I had him, I wouldn't necessarily be in a rush to drop him unless you are desperate to go to Martinelli. Now I've currently got Erdegaard, which is annoying me because. I feel like he's Why would you pick Odegaard when Marcinelli was 0.5 cheaper? It's completely nonsensical. I told you this at the start of the season. But Tom, I'm a contrarian. I haven't got Salah in my team. Well done, mate. In the words of Rage Against the Machine, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Okay, stay small. Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, I think Martinelli is the one to own in that midfield right now. His link-up play with Gabriel Jesus was unbelievable in this match. Are we sleeping on James Madison? Oh, it's hard to say, isn't it? Because there is just so much turmoil at Leicester at the moment. It looks like Fafana is trying to push through and move to Leicester. It doesn't look like they're going to be bringing anyone in. Yes, he started the season well. But I don't know, I just can't bring myself to bring in any Leicester assets at the moment. Uh, they've got Southampton next and then it's Chelsea and United. So, mm. I don't know, they don't fill me with confidence. Yeah, I just think if you're going to go for one of them, and we are looking for eight million midfielders for those of us that have mounts, I think Madison is still a decent idea to replace. Uh, maybe with those fixtures, actually, it puts me off a bit. But you never know. I think there are worse ideas in the world. Um, a couple more games to touch on, and Everton must be thinking of Richarlison and feeling blue because they're trying to remember the feeling. <laughs> Darius, Darius songs, another one on the list. Um, but I think Everton are in a world of hurt. Aston Villa weren't good. Let's be very clear Aston Villa weren't good, but Everton were worse. I think. They're not scoring goals. They got an own goal in this game, but I think for Everton, they're in a heap load of trouble, and I don't see where the goals come from. Particularly if Anthony Gordon does go to Chelsea, as he's had a bid today. Yeah, so it's like they're willing to pay somewhere in the region of forty-five, fifty million for him. Wow. Which I don't know. I'm not convinced to be on you, but um, Chelsea obviously willing to splash the cash. They. I don't know. It's just a very, very strange one for me. Um, Everton at the moment, I can't read them at all. They're just, they are struggling, aren't they? They, they need to start picking up points in the next game. They've got Forest at home this weekend. If they lose that, then they're in big trouble and you've got to be thinking that Lampard's going to be looking over his shoulder. Well, I think once they sack Lampard, they'll probably be fine. And I think Lampard will get sacked halfway through the season. Um, they'll bring in Big Sam or Sean Dyche and they'll manage to stay up. I think that's the trajectory that Everton are probably on. I think the Lampard project was failed from the start because he's not a very good manager. And we said it time and time again, and time and time again, we've been proven right. So uh, I don't hold out any hope for them at all. Last game to chat about is Brighton nil, Newcastle nil. Um, Nick Pope getting us both 10 points. We're very happy. Both teams, I think, looking very good at the moment. Yeah, Brighton were probably the more impressive of the two here, which obviously you can see from the stats. Pope with five saves, keeping the clean sheet. He definitely kept Newcastle in this game. And you do kind of think that if it wasn't for him, Brighton definitely would have run out winners in this one. 
So Brighton for the me are the the sort of surprise package so far. Um, but as I say that, I still don't look yeah. at any of their players and go, I want them in my team. Yeah, we we don't want to play the Trossard, the Gross. Like that that's just really, really unappealing. Gross. It's really gross. I, I really didn't want to say it. <laughs> um, um, but the next fixture is West Ham, who they always beat, as you pointed out a hundred times. Then it's Leeds, Fulham, Leicester, Bournemouth, and Palace. So very, very good fixtures for Brighton over the next five or so. I I just can't picture myself bringing any Brighton players in, and that's my challenge with it at the moment. Because of the value in FPL this year, you can pick a team full of the top players or the top players at the top clubs. So I, I just struggle to justify bringing Brighton in. But I think Lewis Dunk is probably the best of the rest out of the 4.5 million defenders at least. Yeah, probably. And you probably could have just repeated that sentence for any time over the last like three seasons. Agreed. Um, but I think Dunk was 5.5 at one point, then 5. So this is the first year he's been 4.5. Yeah, so true. Lewis Dunk is a really good shout, particularly when, yeah, over the next five, actually, uh, if someone wanted to bring in Lewis Dunk, save a bit of money at the back, I wouldn't be opposed to it at all. No, I think there's there's no reason not to. Uh, like you say, you've got options there of players that are coming out of defence if you wanted to downgrade someone like a, a Robertson or even a, a Ben Chilwell if you, if you wanted to get that money in the bank for elsewhere, then there's definitely worse options out there. Yeah, completely agree. Um, from your perspective, is there anyone you're looking to bring in or any teams you're looking to target over the next few weeks or so? Like well, I said, Brentford's fixtures are the ones that are really eye-catching at the moment off the back of that 4-0 win. But is it how much of it is really down to them playing well or opposition not being up to scratch? Um, then it's more ones that I'm looking at, like Liverpool, what do I do with them at the moment with the sort of struggling defensively? Uh, that all depends on whether they get a, a centre-back back fit soon enough. Uh, because if they're st- still lining up with Nat Phillips at centre-half, you, you're not feeling too confident. So for me, I'm, I just feel like we're in a bit of a holding pattern at the moment, and that will be the case for the next few weeks until that first game, while it, uh, that first wild card window really opens in, in about a month's time or so. Yeah, I think for a wild card, mine will probably be saved for game week eight or nine, just as the halfway point. It's going to be when that first international break is. Although when the Champions League starts, because of the World Cup, the Champions League fixtures are going to come thick and fast. Um, so the top clubs suddenly become a lot less appealing because there's going to be a lot more rotation. So I've got Cucurella now because I know from game week six or something, I probably won't want him. The Champions League starts between game week six and seven. So we've got three more weeks of consistency before the chaos begins. Um, yeah, I. that's why I think if you're going to have all the top teams, now is the time to do it. What are your thoughts around the Champions League and how that might affect things? Yeah, it's going to be a nightmare, like you say. Um, same for Europa League as well, for those teams that will be in it, or the Conference League. You are going to have sort of six consecutive weeks of midweek game, weekend game, midweek game, weekend game. So it's going to be a lot of rotation, especially in those bigger clubs where they've got those bigger sides. And it's going to be a matter of waiting and see those first couple of weeks, how they line up, because they'll tend to teams like a City will tend to have a more Premier league type team and a more Champions league type team. So you should be able to get a feel for things, but then obviously you've got more risk of injuries, more risk of rest and rotation. And then you're looking at that'll be done by the end of October. And then you're into the countdown to the World Cup. So it's like there's going to be so much football over the next few months. My missus is going to hate it. <laughs> so much football and the Champions League chaos. I mean, it's got me feeling yellow, all confused inside. A little hazy, but mellow. When I feel your eyes on me, feeling fine. I could jump into karaoke. I think I'll hold it there. Um, but I agree with everything you've just said. I think your missus are probably going to hate it more because I'll probably be around so often um, just to watch as many games as we can. Either way, though, I am looking forward to it. In terms of our big at the back league and how things are going at the moment, I have moved up to fourth spot. You are, where are you? Let me scroll all the way down to number 11. I'm 12 points ahead of you and seven places ahead of you. So 
Big, big difference there. Um, leading the but way... The, the, the real takeaway from this is our joint team is fucking atrocious. <laughs> we need... That needs surgery. ASAP. It's last. It's behind Stephen Devonish. How is it behind Stephen? Goodness. Because I've looked at the team. What are we doing? It's fucking shit, mate. <laughs> I think the best of you and the best of me combined for the worst of us both. Um, we we seriously so, need to fix this team. Uh, I mean, we'll do that during the week. Um, yeah. Luke is still winning. He got 75 this week. Um, his main performers were Reese James, Cancelo, and Trippier. Uh, then Luis Diaz in the middle, and then Kane, not Kane. Then he's got Haaland and Gabriel Jesus up front. So he's having an absolutely cracking start to the season. Be interested to see if he can keep that up. But other than that, we've got. Josh Bell up the, coming up very close, and Frank, who just about beat me last season in our work league, is two points ahead of me. But it's all very tight at the top, as you can probably imagine. Lots still to play for, loads more games to come. We're looking forward to it. You can find us on Twitter in the meantime. Come and interact with us. We hate and love you all in equal measure. We're at big at the back. Yep, and you can find Tom on Twitter at TomMadden92 and I am at Higgins92. Uh, you can also find me on the Pretty Bubbles podcast, which will also be dropping very soon this week uh, as we look ahead to our Europe Conference League campaign starting on Thursday night against Viaborg. Uh, so if you want to know all about that enthralling <laughs> fixture... Is? It's the Mickey Mouse Cup. Like, no one cares. <laughs> to be fair, the final of that last season was probably better than the Europa League final. Okay, the Mickey Mouse Cup is better than the Donald and Goofy Cup. Like, it's still completely irrelevant. <laughs> I, I'm just, yeah, it's... I mean, what are we meant to do? We're not going to throw it, are we? So it's still yeah. European football. It's still extra revenue, so... I mean, not much. But I think the winner of the Conference League gets five million and a spot in the Europa League. So but that is the thing. It's probably going to be our best chance to get back into the Europa League next season. True. Well, in that case, we will look forward to hearing about Matt's exploits on the Pretty Bubbles podcast when West Ham crash out of the Europa Conference League. And in the meantime, we will speak to you all next week, probably on Tuesday or Wednesday. <laughs>